0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mick spell Morgan, And once again, we are embarking on a journey into exploring the question, Why horror? Where each week, myself and a different guest unpack the question and ask, Why horror? So before I jump into the discussion, today I am joined by Jessica Scott. And yeah, if you could just introduce yourself, say what your, kind of your connection to horror is.
2: Yeah. um, Hi, I'm Jessica Scott. I am a writer, editor, cosplayer, uh, film critic, essayist. I I write about horror a lot and sometimes I dress up as horror characters, basically. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs)
1: Amazing, but no, and again, thank you for coming on to chat with me. I'm very excited. Yeah, and, thank you for having me. Oh, no worries. My pleasure. And yeah, well, I like to kick these discussions off with is this first question, because I'm always just fascinated to hear what films someone will say, and everyone is different. So for you... What was the first horror film that you remember watching and slightly adjacent? Because sometimes the di- answers to these can be different. What was the horror film that made you a fan of horror?
2: Uh, the first film I remember watching was Poltergeist. I mm. uh, My parents rented it when I was about five years old and I hid behind the couch and watched it with them unbeknownst to them. Um, and of course I had nightmares and, but I also fell in love with it. I was so, I I was always kind of a spooky kid. I loved Halloween. Mm. I loved uh, scary things, um, just spooky things, haunted houses, things like that. Uh, so I was always drawn to the macabre or the darker mm. things or the spookier things. Um, but actually watching Poltergeist, I was so enamored with being scared And with just everything that I was seeing. So that was my first horror movie. Mm -hmm. Um, The horror movie that I always credit with making me a horror fan is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which Mm. I saw when I was 15 or 16. So a full decade later. But that was what really cemented my love because I have such a distinct memory of sitting on the floor of my living room in broad daylight watching appropriately one of the most sun dappled horror Mm. movies i think (laughs) um and just i didn't know horror could do that i didn't know horror could be like that that
0: Mm.
2: that kind of not depraved but that mean spirited or Mm. go into such dark places that i had not seen before where we didn't really have creaking doorways or you know curtains moving and not the haunted house tropes necessarily but just this real world unease about how the world is not what you think it is and it has nothing to do with the supernatural so that was what really really turned me into a horror fan
1: oh what a film to kind of do (laughs) that for you because Mm -hmm. like i i just one of my favorite things when i think about like and actually oddly enough it was only this year that I actually watched the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh, wow. for the very first time Um, mm-hmm. I had just never seen it before I knew it existed but it was just something that I never really sought out until I started kind of like advently listening to horror podcasts and it's like one of the films that just comes up all the time and rightly so because it is a classic and um, so I did seek it out and I think my favourite thing about it is the fact that it has this like massive reputation as being one of the like goriest or kind of grossest films <laughs> when it isn't like it's really subtle and it's all about like playing tricks on your mind and stuff like that but yeah very one of those films that you can just feel the heat from it <laughs> yeah yeah I can understand exactly. how that set you up as a fan and I like how I loved that your that story about Poltergeist as well as I like you had snuck down as a child to kind of watch it without your parents knowing because I think like as I've talked to different guests for this series like it's definitely becoming a reg- noticeable pattern that when it comes to horror fans I think it's very much 50-50 that either someone was like led by a parental figure or an older sibling like with a guiding hand as in like (laughs) I'm going to introduce you to this beautiful world of horror cinema Mm -hmm. or it's almost like an act of rebellion or kind of like I shouldn't be doing this but I'm going to and I always love hearing which background someone comes from when it comes to their horror education.
2: Yes absolutely I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about Texas Chainsaw because it is you don't think of it as being a movie about suggestion and imagination Mm. rather than showing, but I do love that it has that reputation because it is pretty bloodless, but everyone remembers it as being this bloodbath. I There's so much power in what they're showing you. You can just have a picture of someone walking through a yard and a picture of the sun and you remember it as being the most, transgressive audacious movie ever made that shows you all these things that you never really see they just planted into your mind and it's so brilliantly done and yeah um horror has pretty much been my main act of rebellion through my life because no one in my family is a horror fan Mm. Uh, nobody in my family understands horror or why I like it so that's been kind of I've always wanted to be more rebellious than I am and that's been the one place where I've been able to do that I think
1: oh that's um really like amazing then thanks for saying that because yeah I think it is like whether even when it's the case where someone is like does have that guiding hand into horror like I think at the end of the day like we all like kind of as fans return to horror films and this genre because it adds something to like it enriches us it enriches Mm -hmm. our lives in some way Mm -hmm. and it's something that non-horror fans just don't understand like yeah. it's it is really like and I think particularly when you're like a queer horror fan there's like an extra weight yes. to it almost like like and I'm 100% in the camp of horror is inherently queer like I think that's mm-hmm. definitely my stance on it and um, agreed but, but yeah I think it's something that adds weight to our lives and actually I want to know like um because I'm interested now because for you is there kind of like any overlap in kind of like maybe the rebelliousness or i don't know maybe even like the power of like watching horror films but like that cosplay does that do anything similar for you because like i always find like because as someone who goes to cons and cosplays on when i can like i find it such a like a great like kind of just experience i want to know is it do, does cosplay and horror is there like kind of a similar kind of act of rebellion for you or overlap
2: I think so, because i I have a lot of fun playing the villains, mm. uh, which is something again, I'm kind of a goody two shoes, much to my chagrin. I'm kind <laughs> of a goody two shoes in real life, and being able to play the villains and tap into the darker side or the mm. the people who relish their own evilness i I have a lot of fun with that, and i I hadn't connected the two in my mind, but I think you're absolutely right that there's there's a liberation and there's a rebellion in it. Um, mm. And, you know, cause you, I, I'm sure you feel the same way, but when I'm portraying a character, I kind of do my level best to give myself over to that character completely and embody them as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So really getting in touch with their fear or their rage or their, you know, their avarice or whatever is driving them is such an act of rebellion against kind of forces that want me to be good and follow all the rules and Mm. be, you know, a picture perfect little girl and not make waves all the time. So that's, yeah, I think it actually, absolutely is an act of rebellion.
1: No, and that's uh, actually, it's just, I love how you say that. It's like, you're almost drawn to like the villains and stuff like that. Cause I think as, like queer horror fans that's something that is something that we all relate to that we Mm -hmm. it's often the very queer coded villains (laughs) that we see ourselves in because Mm -hmm. they've been coded that way so but we don't see them as the monstrous characters they're being portrayed as we see them as like intensely interesting and like like just genuinely like better than the yes. usually, usually the heroes we're just like no no like what why are we supposed to care about this person that's being like you know hunted that person's way more interesting and has better fashion sense exactly <laughs> exactly and um but yeah I think it's like I love how it's like it's almost like overlaps into the way that you do your cosplay as well mm-hmm. because it's like and that's why I love particularly like talking to like fellow like queer horror fans because i don't know there's this like extra level of camaraderie that's like mm-hmm. almost like more i don't know it feels like stronger than just the general we're both horror fans there's like an extra right. oh yeah we're you know we see each other we kind of are coming from the same page type thing yeah. um mm-hmm. but stemming from that i want to know what your opinion on this is because i think particularly again like and i'll be probably using the word queer a lot during this conversation <laughs> but i like to use it a lot because hey i'm queer full stop um, <laughs> but i want to know when it comes to watching horror films do you have kind of like clear delineations of this is horror this isn't horror or is it more fluid and flux for you
2: Um, It's it's far more fluid for me and it has become more fluid the longer I've been watching horror Mm. and thinking about horror. Um, I used to be, you know, especially as a kid. I had an unfortunate tendency towards pedantry. Um, and I was like, no, this is a thriller. This is a horror. They're, the two do not combine. I was very insufferable and, <laughs> um, but I've, I've mellowed on that quite a bit and found that that's kind of a boring way of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. kind of trying to escape the binary in my thinking as much as everywhere else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yep. um, <laughs> um, so I've, i found that it's much more interesting to think about movies without having those rigid ideas um so thinking about what makes a horror movie there are so many different things you know mm. it can like it depends on the subgenre it depends on the subject matter it depends on the uh, the director's style or the writer's style you know i uh, what's the the famous supreme court quote about pornography like i i can't define it but i know it when i see it Mm. it's kind of how i think of horror sometimes because some some movies are thrillers some are more interested in horror than in terror some just want to gross you out as much as they can and god Mm -hmm. bless them for it because i love those too (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um so there's kind of an overriding sense of transgressing boundaries and making Mm. people uncomfortable with horror but I think that's the as narrow as you can get when you're defining it because I think trying to pin it down even more than that leaves out a lot of movies and kind of limits your thinking in terms of looking at the
1: genre. 100% and I also love how like you started that brilliant eloquent point by saying that you know you're trying to like you know break down like the binaries in your thinking because you picked up exactly what I was putting down because I'm just (laughs) like yep like that's just yeah like it's just I feel like again like I said maybe it's like a younger thing and like as you said (laughs) being more pedantic and it's like contrarian like I think like it is like slightly like when you're in that kind of younger starting out on your film journey phase mixed with you know we are socially conditioned to kind of see everything in a binary so Mm -hmm. if you kind of kind of combine the two you're gonna have like everything has to have go in its category everything has to fit neatly and kind of as you get older and particularly as you like realize you know more about your internal queerness if you're a queer person and just in general that the existence of queer people (laughs) and you like if you apply that kind of films as well you're just like oh no it's actually hard to kind of say no this is this this is that because then Mm -hmm. it's like what about when it's overlap and that's it's those intersections that's so fascinating and yes especially with films and genre because like mm-hmm. once you go into break it down into different subgenres it gets more nuanced and more complex and yes. um, mm-hmm. but yes that's one of like I'm definitely very much yep everything is fluid and flux but then hey that's my daily life so <laughs> it, it makes sense to apply it to films <laughs> um, <laughs> but I want to know actually st- stemming from that because as you said it is really comes down to you know subject matter and you know subgenre. like for yourself are there any kind of like particular subgenres that like are favorites for you and then more importantly and this is the one that I'm always interested in is like why are they favorites like is there something that you're specifically getting from a subgenre? Like, why do you turn to them?
2: Yes. um, I think I I have a few, but my absolute favorite subgenre is a haunted house film. Mm -hmm. I I think part of it is a very just I respond to the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. I like... You know shadows and creaking steps and doors that open by themselves and billowing curtains where you're not sure what's happening the the ambiguity and the suggestion and just the the creepiness of it mm-hmm. I really respond to that but also on a deeper level I think to me haunted house movies are the scariest of all, and mm-hmm. again you don't have to be scary to be a horror movie, but I do like being scared yeah. and the idea because home is where you are supposed to be the safest. Mm
0: -hmm. And in
2: a haunted house movie, the one place that is not safe is your home. So the terror of realizing the one place I'm supposed to be secure and safe and taken care of is not safe for me at all. I think that's terrifying and I think that's highly relatable to a lot of people
0: mm-hmm. um, who
2: grew up in different situations um, whether it's because they were queer and not accepted by their family or whether there was abuse or whether they had mm-hmm. uh, their own psychological issues that, you know, I, I've said before, I, sometimes I feel like my own body is a haunted house because uh, my mm-hmm. brain is kind of haunting me all the time with some, you know, psychological and neurodivergent issues I have. So I that sense of being at war with your surroundings
0: mm-hmm. it
2: just really speaks to me and really frightens me and i really relate to it so that is the reason i love haunted house movies
1: mm, oh everything everything you're saying there is just like just firing the neurons in my brain it's just <laughs> like oh yes it's just beautiful um but yes no i think that's like you know haunted house or like kind of ghost films Mm -hmm. like are definitely ones that like I turn to a lot like I think there's I don't know like for me it's definitely a genre that's one of the best for examining the kind of human condition which is something Mm -hmm. that as someone who geeks out about philosophy I love (laughs) films that do that but yeah it's like something very primal about that type of fear yeah but like but also Mm -hmm. just that quote about sometimes my own body feels like a haunted house like I think that's something that a lot of queer and neurodivergent people and disabled people can Mm -hmm. relate to in different intersected ways and and it's actually funnily enough like for me and and I I like how you actually preface by saying not every you know a horror film doesn't have to be scary to be good because that's one of the kind of bigger topics I want to touch on in a bit Mm -hmm. but before I get there like for me, one of the... It's not a subgenre, but it's more if it appears in a horror film like that just gets under my skin and gets me every time is like any form of body horror. Like mm. I find that so uncomfortable to watch. And it's, it's just... It doesn't matter what it is. It's just anytime that it's just the body that's the focus of the horror, <laughs> I just get all squicked out. But I think that's intensely because of the fact that, again like my own body was the location for a lot of horror for most Mm -hmm. of my life because I didn't realize I was queer or that you know gender queerness non-binary like transness was a thing until really kind of two or three years ago so Mm -hmm. up until that point my body was the location of horror because i didn't understand it and yeah so maybe i think that's always why body horror is something that just gets under my skin because Mm -hmm. for a long time my skin didn't feel like mine um yeah that was like just a little tangent but yeah i think that it's yeah it's very intensely interesting how we turn to certain films for certain reasons and this is why i love asking these questions because (laughs) i think it's one of the things I love is figuring out what it is for each different person. Like, that's why I'm Mm. asking why horror, because I think everyone has their own different reasons, like personal reasons for why certain films or certain sub genres are where they turn to the most. And I find it's such a unique way of getting to know a person. I think it's so fascinating, but stemming from what you said about not every, you know, a film doesn't have to be scary to be good. That is something that we see a lot, particularly in online spaces. But as I've been having these conversations, I've realized that, you know what, there actually are people in the real world who think like this, (laughs) but like there does seem to be this attitude that someone will say a certain film wasn't good because I wasn't scared. And I want to know what you think about that. Like, do you like think that a film needs to be scary in order to be considered effective or good?
2: No not at all I you know as I kind of mentioned earlier not every horror film is aiming to scare you I think kind of branching off into maybe a different conversation about film criticism I think examining what the film is trying to accomplish and then comparing what it actually accomplishes Mm. is how I try to approach things that's not the only approach I take when I'm you know examining a film because sometimes a film can accidentally say so much more interesting things than I think it's trying to mm. but so if if a film's only goal is to scare me and it fails at that, I might say, well, you know, I didn't think it was all that great because it didn't have anything else going on and it didn't scare me. But so many horror films do not want to just make you jump out of your seat. Mm-hmm. They, they want to, they want the dread to seep in slowly and unsettle you rather than scare you. There are so many different things. Cause I think a lot of people, especially people who don't spend their whole lives thinking and talking about horror, <laughs> um, they just, they hear horror and they think, oh, um jump scares which i'm a huge fan of jump scares but it, that is not all the genre is yeah. um or they think oh you know i i need to be terrified and i need to have nightmares and if i didn't have nightmares it you know it obviously wasn't a good horror movie there are so many different aspects to horror you know as you talked about with body horror being so uncomfortable that's not being scared it's mm-hmm. it's an it's a different emotion there are so many more emotions and um mental frameworks that horror is working in beyond just being scared so hopefully I'm answering your question but I don't think a movie has to be scary to be a good horror movie but I think some movies are I don't want to say bad but some movies fail at their objectives because sometimes they aim to scare people and they do it ineffectively
1: mm-hmm. yeah no I think that's a very and again, like you said, you know, when you're people who watch horror and talk about it and analyse horror all the time, we definitely have, like, more nuanced and unique, like, kind of different type of perspectives and, like, ideas than someone who's just, like, as, like, possibly, like, a popcorn fan, like, who just watches the film and then disengages. And we're just like, no, no. we want to, d- d- you know, burrow deeper. We want to, like, unpack yes. it. Like, that's what we want to do. <laughs> Maybe, like, you know, to our detriment, who knows? Um, <laughs> but I think what you said there is really, it's the nail on the head that, you know, if it sets out to do something, but doesn't deliver or does it ineffectively, then it kind of fails at its agenda. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, like for me, like for example, the third Conjuring movie, The Devil Made Me Do It, that one was an ineffective horror movie for me because it just didn't work like mm-hmm. it just like didn't work that's simply what it is now if someone else is a fan of it great because that's my that's always my approach that I can think that this film didn't work or didn't deliver but if it works for another person fantastic because at the end of the day if there's people enjoying the films that are made that's good in my eyes mm-hmm. um, but I think like of like. <laughs> Like for me, my kind of where I always like my personal opinion is always like I'd much rather a (laughs) like a bad horror film like on paper an objectively badly made horror film that's entertaining and you can tell was like made with passion versus a film that's just kind of hitting points A, B to C. And there's nothing, like, nothing much else going on. Which is why I'm a huge fan of schlocky, trashy kind of B-horror films. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, yeah, on paper, it's not, like, that well made. God, you have a fun time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And um, so I want to know, just, like, kind of stemming from that then, like, where do you kind of sit under the camp of, like, so bad they're good like do you think those films like have merit and that it's a good thing those type of films exist because I think I'm a huge fan of those films but I feel like it's those type of films is the reason why horror as a genre kind of gets looked down upon by other genres because they're Mm -hmm. just like oh Mm -hmm. this is what you are and they actually miss the beauty and transgressiveness of films like a texas chainsaw massacre or more modern ones like a midsummer or hereditary and stuff like that mm. so i want to know what you think about the existence of the so bad they're good films
2: okay so i have a lot of thoughts on
0: this <laughs> yeah one passion please
2: okay um for starters i think you're right that the existence of movies like that is why people look down their nose at horror. But I think that just proves that horror is better. Mm, <laughs> <More> interesting. <yep. laughs> because, you know, if you have a bad drama or a bad comedy, you're mm. just bored. But if you have a quote unquote, bad horror movie, you you'll likely be entertained more often than not, as opposed to the other. Like if you have a bad rom-com, you just want to pluck your eyes out instead of actually having fun for 90 odd minutes. Um, but I think that the appellation so bad it's good gets misapplied very often mm-hmm. because people misunderstand the intent of the film and they they see camp or they see um other exaggerated aesthetics or exaggerated approaches and say, well, this is this is not the kind of thing I'm used to. So it must be bad, but I'm enjoying it. So it's so bad. It's good.
1: Yes. 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 (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, Because like movies, like this is my pet. Anyone who follows me on Twitter will be like, of course, she's bringing up (laughs) TerraVision. but Teravision. Teravision is campy and TerraVision is brilliant. Mm -hmm. It accomplishes everything it sets out to do. Movies like Frankenhooker brilliant i love that movie it does everything it tries to do it does not fail it is not bad but people look at things like that where again you're using elements of camp you're using elements mm-hmm. of satire you're using you're kind of going over the top people think oh obviously it's bad i'm laughing at it when no you're just mm-hmm. not used to the kind of you know i i feel like people who use that Uh, unironically and apply it incorrectly haven't watched enough John Waters, haven't watched enough movies Mm. like that where they see the beauty in the bad taste or they see the beauty in the exaggeration Um, and I, I do think that there are movies that are so bad they're good. I think <laughs> you know, it's not horror but The Room is a good example of that. I mm. think Troll 2 <laughs> is a good example of that. Um the they they are um inept in certain ways but they are so entertaining and so fascinating Yeah, that you know and I I'll, some people might disagree with me on both of those. They you know and you know please do please disagree with me and we can talk about it but um th- but there's something so compelling especially about movies like troll 2 which you know the worst or the best worst movie i I'm, I'm getting the title <laughs> wrong but it's so famously bad you know mm. um it's so fascinating the as you mentioned the passion the filmmakers have clearly mm-hmm. that's a passion project yeah. they wanted to tell this story they wanted to tell this story this way and it's you know i think this is perhaps a, the live laugh love of the horror community but the horror <laughs> community is kind of made up of little weirdos yeah. so when you see other little weirdos making passion projects i can't help but respond to that as opposed yeah. to people who are bored and cashing a paycheck and um not that there's anything wrong with getting paid i wish horror <laughs> creators got paid a lot more because they deserve it but you know yeah. if there's passion behind it and you're trying to tell a story even if the filmmaking components are not well done or even if the story is not well done there's something compelling about it so i i feel i feel like i've gone all over the place answering this question because it's something i care a lot about this notion of so bad it's good no Um, but i you know getting into whether a film is bad or whether it's good you know we can talk about again what it aims to accomplish and how Mm -hmm. it tries to accomplish that you know there are certain Uh, filmmaking techniques that are um, effective or ineffective. There are certain storytelling techniques that are effective or ineffective. So we can get into the nuts and bolts of that with specific movies. But I'll just say, I love movies that are so bad, they're good. But I think a lot of people, when they use that to paint a lot of movies with that brush, they are missing the point of those movies.
1: Yeah, no, I love how you've said that and explained it because I 100% agree like it is something that I think is misapplied a Mm -hmm. lot in the sense that you know I've seen some people say for example malignant was so bad it's good or I I can already envision that certain people will say the same thing about orphan first kill and I'm just Mm -hmm. like no these are just camp films that 100% Mm -hmm. know what they are and Mm -hmm. are leaning into it and I think the reason it gets misapplied and this is my feeling of it and I want to know what you think but I think it kind of possibly stems from like maybe a hang-up of like societal Christianity or Catholicism like this idea that we have to feel shame for anything we find pleasure in so i feel that the reason someone might say something is so bad it's good is because they can't reconcile the fact that they're enjoying something that in some way in their eyes isn't in quote unquote good like as in You know, someone could be watching, say, a malignant or orphan first kill as two more recent examples and is knows that, you know, this isn't a quote unquote elevated horror film, (laughs) you know, but it's because it's not what they're kind of usually are a fan of all of a sudden, because they're having a good time with it, they label it as so bad it's good because we're told that you're supposed to feel guilt with pleasure. Like, that's where guilty pleasure comes from. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is that's maybe why it gets misapplied because someone doesn't want to just admit that, hey, I'm enjoying this film. (laughs) And I want to know what you think. Do you think I'm maybe reading too much into it or there might be an element of truth?
2: (laughs) No, I agree with you 100%. I think it is... um... There's something about the Puritan foundation of mm-hmm. this country, <laughs> and the um, the tendency of straight people to think that they have to take themselves so seriously and not have any fun. <laughs> I mean, you got, I I'm so sorry, <laughs> but, uh, but there's there's something there's a Puritan notion that l- l- enjoying yourself or laughing at yourself or laughing at life mm. like there's some there's there's a sin in having too much fun with life or you know crossing the boundaries a little and having fun with that and yeah there's so much guilt involved with oh i should not be enjoying this i should not be responding mm. to this so you have to i agree with you 100 that you have to label things as bad in order to let yourself off the hook for secretly thinking they're good you know like and i'm i i probably you heard my gasp when you mentioned malignant because I, I really really love malignant and oh, i believe I, me
1: i'm a huge
0: fan
2: <laughs> i just the delicious camp just gonzo nature of that movie i love it um but yeah i i saw some of that on the i'm Far too much on Twitter and I saw that on the timeline on Twitter when it was released that people were like oh this is so bad it's good. I was like you're missing the point, but maybe maybe they're not missing the point so much as not allowing themselves to think of things from a list like straight Christian viewpoint where there's there's good and there is bad and there is guilty and there is not guilty and there are you know we take ourselves very seriously we take our lives very seriously we don't laugh at things um to an extent that would make life more enjoyable (laughs) I feel like I'm just saying horrible things about huge swaths of the population (laughs) but I mean I I it's true though
1: (laughs) yeah there's an element of truth and as you I like how you were like Again, just comparing it, you know, it's good or bad, this or this. And I'm just like, the crux of it, we just need to dismantle the binaries. Stop binary thinking and just allow people to have more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, kind of actually, in a way, I think it's kind of linked. But um, in the sense of like, allow people to have more fun. Like, but in maybe a more nuanced perspective, but slight tangent. I want to know what you feel. And this, because this is one where I never know where to plant my flag. I'm always flip-flopping. It's I can never actually 100% calm down on a decision. But that just could be because I'm bisexual. But um, I want to know what you feel about censorship. Like when it comes to, like, do you think that there's a line on like, this is acceptable, this goes beyond what's acceptable, or do you think that art is art and shouldn't be censored? I want to know what you think about that.
2: I, honestly, I think... I'm sure that I am missing certain nuances because this is a thorny question. Yeah. But I think as long as how you create the movie is not harming people, like, Mm -hmm. I think, I think, Cannibal Holocaust is a brilliant movie but I will never watch it again because of the unsimulated animal cruelty. Mm-hmm. So films where you are actively like you are actually harming animals, you are actually harming your actors like and we can get into, you know, Shelley Duvall mm-hmm. famously on the set of The Shining, things like that. I I don't believe in censorship so much as I believe in taking care of the people that you're working with to create the art.
0: Yeah.
2: And you know, we can talk about, there are films that I think have, and this might be the Puritans sneaking up in me, but have immoral viewpoints mm-hmm. where I think, I think you are being exploitative in a disrespectful way. Like I I like exploitation films, but there's mm-hmm. a difference between an exploitation film and being exploitative yes. and where you're exploiting a marginalized performer or a marginalized audience, or where you are using your power to um, explore harmful kinks. Like, you know, I, if you want to cut this, please do. But like, there's a new Jeepers Creepers movie, and Victor Salva famously using his films to prey on children mm-hmm. and to explore his attraction to children. Obviously that is wrong and i think that's so there i think there has to be a line but i i don't i don't like saying yes we should have censorship because god look at what's going on in the united states right now in terms of like get everything that's queer out yeah everything related to anyone of color get get everything out of the library everything out of the school obviously i am on the opposite side of that spectrum but i do think there has to be a line in terms of treating your performers and your crew members and your audience members with respect and care.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
2: that's kind of where I come down in terms yeah. of censorship.
1: No, I think that makes sense. And also, I will not be cutting the calling out of Victor okay. Salva as a problematic prick, because okay. I've been basically <laughs> using him as an example on every episode, because <laughs> I think it's a perfect example of, like, and again, this will look and lean into one of the other questions I have, but he's like... I think I feel like Victor Salva, or even like say Roman Polanski people like that Mm -hmm. are like perfect figureheads for the whole art versus artist topic and but before I get into that just kind of going back to the kind of whole censorship thing yeah yeah I like even though I'm always kind of like there are certain things like certain films that might have portrayals of certain things that all just be like I'm just not comfortable with that so I'm not going to watch it but would i go go as far to say as i don't think this thing should exist or should ever be seen again i don't know cuz like at the end of the day i think you know adults like you know adults are adults they should kind of be allowed to decide for themselves what it is that they wish to seek because as you said if we take one stance of kind of making the decision that no this is something that someone can't Engage with, you end up going up the scale to what's happening in certain areas of America where books are being Mm -hmm. banned, where Mm -hmm. courses on critical race theory are being (laughs) abolished, and (laughs) then like in Florida they say you're not allowed to say the word gay, like you know things like that stems from a stance of allowing censorship in certain areas. So yeah, it's a very tricky and nuanced one. I think my approach is always what was the filmmaker's intent? Like, Mm -hmm. is there, like, what's the reason for this being here? Is it actually kind of, like, in a way, transgressive and actually making a commentary on some form of, like, social problem? Then I'd say it's, even if it might be hard to watch or hard to sit with, there's a reason it's hard to sit with because it's Mm -hmm. actually addressing something that's problematic, Mm
0: -hmm. versus
1: it's clear that just an edgelord has just thrown this on screen to get a response. (laughs) Like, you know, there are two different different responses. So I think it really comes down to filmmaker intent, which actually does bring us neatly into (laughs) um, art versus artist and linked with that the kind of concept like the academic concept of the death of the author which like when applied academically to literature and stuff like that is the kind of whole thing of like you know it doesn't really matter what like the art, like the author's intent was or what their planned message was once it's out in the world that kind of dies because everyone has their own reading of it so i want to know do you think death of the author kind of be applied to films and horror films and then linked art versus artist. where do you lie
2: with that (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) two Two biggies of questions (laughs) yes yes indeed um so i i do i am interested in the author's intent Mm -hmm. i am fascinated with what they wanted to say because sometimes I'm surprised by my reading of a film versus the author's Mm. uh, intention um but I do think that you know this might be easy for me to say because I do not create fiction I do not write novels I do not make movies Mm -hmm. and put them out into the world um but I I think life is richer and more interesting if you say okay this piece of art is in the world and now it's ours to interpret as we will. And I do think that there is, I'm not saying that every interpretation is valid. I do think that you can be wrong (laughs) about a movie. (laughs) Like, um, but I, I'm thinking of, I recently did a podcast about the lure Um, which, and I watched the movie and I watched the documentary with the director and the writer and, uh, the composers talking about what this film was about. And then I read criticism about the movie and, um, it seems clear to me especially after having read that criticism that the lure is a trans allegory Mm
0: -hmm. but that
2: was not the intention at all because it was cis creators creating this fairy tale about you know women's young girls experiences with puberty and growing up Um, but so many trans critics have looked at it and said this is a trans allegory and I think that's such a fascinating and richer interpretation Mm -hmm. that I'm clearly that is what's happening you know even if that was not the intention that is what is going on um and I always kind of struggle with that because I you know I again I don't know what it's like to put out art like that and have people interpret it in ways that you never intended I don't know if that I don't know how that makes the artist feel but at the end of the day I think You just have to reckon with your interpretation of the art and what you think about other people's interpretations of the art so Mm -hmm. i i think you know obviously horror criticism today would not exist without the death of the author so i would say
1: yeah
2: you know i i support you know finding fresh or fresh readings or readings from perspectives that has have historically been excluded from Hollywood,
0: mm-hmm. um, because
2: uh, you know, talking about queer horror, obviously there have been queer filmmakers and queer writers for as long as those, you know, as long as they've been filmed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but historically speaking, there are not a lot of you know black filmmakers, queer filmmakers, trans filmmakers, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know white cis men in systems of power in the studio system or you know film as it is today so it's so necessary to have those readings because those people have been excluding from making the films so it they kind of get some power back by seeing themselves in the films even if they were not necessarily intended to be there i'm not saying that you know that's not changing because there are so many like you said from the beginning of cinema there have been you know filmmakers of color queer filmmakers um but just in terms of statistics of who's allowed in the room and who isn't, mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to bring those perspectives into film, even when they have not been there from the beginning when the projects were created. If that makes sense.
1: No, one hundred percent. I totally, I exactly going to pick up on what you're saying there, and I think you're spot on that with- <laughs> everything but um <laughs> like i really i've heard so much about that movie the lure but i haven't actually watched it yet but i've i only mm. all i've heard is the lure is a trans allegory but i haven't actually watched the film yet so <laughs> i'm like, seeking it out and um, but just when you're saying like you know it may not have been the filmmaker's intent and you know it's been made by cis people and they had one like this story that they were telling i think like so many people either as like you know people who are critically engaging with art or people who are making art kind of like forget about the fact that how much of like human experience is like subconscious that we're not even aware of Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. you know it could be that the filmmaker says this is what my intent is but they like you know they might not be aware of everything that's bubbling down under the surface that's Mm -hmm. actually something that Is on their mind in in a kind of a more deeper kind of subconscious level and my one of my favourite examples of this is for example like Don Mancini with the Chucky franchise like who's one thing probably the most consistent horror franchise out there because when you have the one voice from the start to the (laughs) present you get that
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but um, for example he was only the writer on the first few Child's Play films and then eventually took the helm as director Mm -hmm. but he says that it wasn't his intent to kind of make Chucky the child's play films like queer films, but because he's a gay man that just bled into the story. Right. And now obviously once he became the director, instead of kind of like shying away from it, he actually doubled down and went, no, no, this is <laughs> it. These are queer films. <laughs> You're going to just have to deal with it,
0: <laughs> which mm. I love.
1: But yeah. I think it's that thing of like, There could be like subconscious elements that filmmakers aren't even aware of that they're actually putting into a film. So maybe there's a reason that queer people have a reading because it's something that a filmmaker was, you know, confronted with, but wasn't actually intending on putting into the story. But yeah, I think it's, I always feel that it's like the intent and the, Take away the perspective exist in tandem. I don't think one is more right than the other. I think they just happen to coexist sometimes they mm-hmm. coexist peacefully sometimes <laughs> sometimes sometimes in contrast with each other but i mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair for anyone to say no that per like that one is incorrect and that one is correct but yes as it, there can be wrong breedings of films, <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean that the person isn't allowed to have that incorrect opinion right,
0: they can yes. have it
1: <laughs> but it's still incorrect <laughs> <laughs> but um, slightly uh, adjacent from the where and because we did bring up him earlier but where mm-hmm. do you kind of feel with the whole art versus artist like what do you what's your kind of takeaway on that
2: um, it's it, the more that we learn about certain people who have made films, it, it, the number of movies that you can watch, if you're going to say, I'm not going to watch any movies involving a terrible person at all, the number of movies you can watch dwindles by the day,
0: mm-hmm. the more we
2: hear about people. And I'm, um, though I do, uh, I do side-eye people who willingly watch and give money to Jeepers Creepers knowing about Salva. I generally do not judge people for saying, I'm going to watch this movie or I'm not going to watch this movie. I... I um, have watched Roman Polanski movies. You brought up Polanski. I have watched Roman Polanski movies in the past and thought they were brilliant. But after that was before I knew anything because I was Mm -hmm. watching those pretty young and didn't know anything about Polanski. And once I learned the details of uh, what he did, I have not been able to watch one of his films again. And I will likely never watch another film of his. I don't... Uh, criticize people who do watch and enjoy Mm -hmm. his films but it's just a personal choice that I just can't do it I I don't feel comfortable so I think art versus artist up until a certain point I think it's it's really just what you feel comfortable with Mm -hmm. because you know there is no ethical consumption of capitalism and filmmaking is a part of capitalism so you're contributing in some way Mm. or watching in some way the work of someone who has done something horrible it's just where you draw the line personally like um uh like i will do everything in my power i i watched signs recently not remembering that mel gibson was in it but i will do everything in my power not to watch a mel gibson movie you know Mm -hmm. things like that where it's people that you are personally uncomfortable with um i just i can't do it but i'm not gonna judge anybody who goes and watches mad max or something yeah. um, <laughs> um so this one is a really hard one for me to answer um, yeah it's it's again with Salva, it's baked into his movies
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that is slightly different than i'm watching a movie that is not you know to use a problematic word is that is not problematic but it is featuring a person who has done things yeah. that i find objectionable so there's a difference there i believe um there are certain movies where um someone's bigotry or someone's predations are baked into the film i have more of a problem with that than some others but uh, up until up until a point where it's so egregious where I just have to side eye you, I think it's a personal choice of what you yourself are comfortable with.
1: yeah, no, that's where I kind of normally settle on it as well like I think f- for me, like, I definitely think there's a clear distinction between just engaging with the piece of art as a piece of art versus. Mm-hmm commercially supporting a problematic creator Mm. because Mm -hmm. like for me for example you know I'm not gonna you know judge or necessarily criticize you know queer or trans people who like still find beauty in like you know some of the original Harry Potter books or the movies but Mm. after everything that you know is clear and terrible about the creator of the books. If someone is still financially supporting by kind of going, Hey, I'm going to buy the new Harry Potter game or doing something like that. Then I'll probably side on you and kind of go, no, no, you're making a choice now. Yeah. Like in the same sense Mm -hmm. that whether it's like, you know, say, you know, a Polanski film or something like that, you know, if someone like already has a copy of the film from before, you know, problematic news came out about a creator like about the creator i'm not gonna say you're you should never watch that copy of the film because that's you know not right really support you're not continuing to financially support the person but if there was a new film to come out about with from that person and you were the first in line to get tickets then i'd kind of be a little bit more Eh, like i think that's a little bit eh. <laughs> the same as like if i yeah, see that yeah. they're <laughs> if I see that there are actors that have no problem kind of like working with someone who's in, you know, a known problematic Mm -hmm. individual, then I'll probably start Mm side-eyeing those actors and I'll be like, hmm, my fan of your work before that's maybe gone in question. And, but I think your point about the Victor Salva films in the sense that like so much of like, his awfulness is baked into the identity of those films. I think that really is a big Mm -hmm. crux of it. Like in the same sense that I won't listen to any Marilyn Manson music because, yeah, like, especially with music, I think you can't really separate it because music is so much of that person. Like, so I don't Mm -hmm. think you can separate it in that sense. Whereas, and in the same way, the Jeepers Creepers films given that you can see like (laughs) like the touches from the grimy hands of Victor Salva I don't think you can separate it whereas like there are other films that yes there might have been a problematic director or producer that was involved in the project but it was a collaborative project and at the end of the day it was made by lots of other people who were not problematic, you know, so it's a kind of a nuanced one yeah. at the end of the day,
2: yeah, yeah, as collaborative and yeah i I see that um, argument a lot in terms of uh, financially supporting people like well, what about mm. all the countless you know cast and crew and everybody who aren't terrible? you know it gets so everything is so mm. wrapped up in these questions, you know again. I generally speaking I'm not going to judge people for what they choose to watch yeah. or what they choose to engage with because you know like I said you know Polanski is a good filmmaker and if people want to uh to watch his films and interact with his films and critique his films obviously there is artistic value there. Yeah. I personally don't feel comfortable but I think if you it's about keeping things in mind knowing Mm -hmm. who and what he is and um, wrestling with that as well, instead of just saying, well, I don't want to think about that. So I'm just going to push that out of my mind and pretend it doesn't exist. As long as we're honest with ourselves based on knowledge, because I'm sure there are a lot of things that we don't know about, about Mm -hmm. people, (laughs) you know, uh, based on, yeah, the things that we know, the things that we have access to, the things that we can reasonably be expected to know, um, as long as you're being honest about those things generally speaking, I can't really fault you for how you interact with art,
1: yeah, one hundred percent and that I think that's really what it comes down to for myself as well is it's just really like you know critical engagement with art in the sense mm-hmm. that you're kind of acknowledging you know you acknowledge that hey, this thing was made by this really shitty person, but there is you know this is a well made piece of film this is a well made piece mm-hmm. of art like and in the same sense if we're talking about specifically just with the horror genre and horror films and talking focusing solely on polanski rosemary's baby as a film is so kind of influential to so many yeah. filmmakers that come after so mm-hmm. you kind of have to in some ways acknowledge like the evolution of the genre and the history of the genre that there would be certain films that exist now that we might sing praises on that probably wouldn't exist if that film wasn't acknowledged or Mm -hmm. didn't exist. And like, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, we kind of have, as you said, we have to sit with that and acknowledge it. And I think that's when it's more important than kind of, as you said, just, you know, being and taking the ostrich approach and just putting your head in the sand and kind of going, you know what, I'm just going to not acknowledge it and pretend. And I think that's why I always kind of like, find it a bit odd when horror fans don't want to acknowledge or that someone problematic was involved with the project or you know Mm -hmm. they don't want to sit with it because usually horror fans we enjoy horror films because it's about sitting with those uncomfortable feelings Mm -hmm. like that's why we turn to so much of these films because it's a way for us to process those uncomfortable feelings that you normally don't in your daily life so yeah I find it weird when there is a horror fan that just puts their fingers in their ears and goes la 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 when you start saying (laughs) hey just so you know there was someone iffy that was involved with that project but I'm not saying you shouldn't watch it just kind of put it out there like there's a weird defensiveness that I just don't understand and but yeah I like what you said about what we know because I think that's when you know because at the time like you know if you're watching something and you don't know anything about it you know you just engage with it whereas Mm -hmm. it changes when you know something but also when you go and revisit something after finding out about the knowledge of something or of the person it can really change your experience of it like so for example I actually watched Scream 3 only recently Mm -hmm. and there's a really strong like undercurrent (laughs) of kind of like problematic Hollywood directors (laughs) and probably like filmmakers throughout that film. And it's just like when you're kind of like rewatching it and going, hmm, oh yeah, this film was produced by a studio that Harvey Weinstein was involved (laughs) with. Oh, this like adds a lot of like uncomfortable extra gravity towards it that Mm -hmm. wouldn't have really necessarily existed at the time the film came out
2: yeah without film in particular I'm almost shocked that it got made by his studio mm. because it's so <laughs> in hindsight it's so clearly about him mm. and 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 people like him I yeah. let's not pretend that Harvey Weinstein is the, the, the only, only one yeah yeah and you know going back to Rosemary's Baby sometimes I worry that I am a, the only person I'm uh, hurting by not engaging with a certain director's films is I feel like I'm limiting my own cinematic vocabulary and knowledge by saying mm. I really don't want to go watch these films but uh, I I will continue to wrestle with that but at the moment it's just not something I feel comfortable with but I am aware that you know I, I don't think there's like a, necessarily a moral good mm. in me saying oh I don't <laughs> I'm not going to watch Polanski films I'm better than you no of course not it's just what I'm personally comfortable with but I do wrestle with the idea that like I've never seen you know. Knife in the Water. There are certain films of his I've never yeah. seen, and I feel like I've limited my own cinematic education because he is a major figure in film. But yeah, I I do... It is interesting going back and revisiting movies, as you said, with *Scream* three, because as we learn more things, hopefully there will be more transparency and Mm -hmm. uh, more rooting out of people like that moving forward. I don't know how optimistic I am about that because Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just a cycle of, okay, 30 years from now, we're going to find out all these terrible things about people we idolize now um but that's a different discussion entirely but but i'll I'll
1: revisit the podcast in 30 years time and see if that's the case
2: (laughs) yeah mark it down on
0: your calendar folks
1: (laughs) the note about the kind of like cinematic vocabulary is an interesting one because like i do feel like that there is this weird almost like kind of like gatekeepy Approach from certain horror fans or just genre fans in general. It could be horror, it could be superhero films, but just genre films in general. There is this weird kind of gatekeeping nonsense that it's like, oh, you can't call yourself a fan if you haven't watched X film, or you need to have watched X films to understand the genre, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, fuck off with that noise. (laughs) Like, just no, go away, please. But I just want to know what you think about that. Like, um, And then before we close out with one last kind of brief kind of question topic. But I just want to know what you think about that. Like, do people have to have engaged with certain films in order to appreciate horror? Uh,
2: the short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the longer answer is, while well, I think there are major films if you're especially if you're like i'm really interested in slashers like there are certain Mm. movies that i think it would behoove you to watch to get a a better understanding of the subgenre. you know things like that but horror is such a huge genre that a it's impossible i don't care who you are it is impossible to see every horror movie every Mm -hmm. ever made you know so there are people who have seen more movies than me there are people who know more about movies than me but no one knows everything no one has seen everything so um i i do i <sighs> i i don't have a lot of patience for gatekeepers yeah i don't have a lot of patience for people who say well if you haven't seen the like so some of the really popular if you've never seen the exorcist if you've never seen the shining obviously you're not a horror fan no that's ridiculous you know mm-hmm. either maybe they're not interested maybe they haven't gotten around to it There. last night i watched messiah of evil for the first time and i tweeted about how you know oh i'm kind of ashamed that i've never seen this before mm-hmm. because i you know i have internalized a lot of that gatekeeping myself and I Mm. doubt my own status as a horror fan. I doubt my own expertise because I'm like, well, I haven't seen this film. I haven't seen that film. I haven't seen a lot of this director's filmography. So obviously, you know, that's my own insecurities talking where I kind of internalize it. But on the external, I do my best to be the opposite like I I had a friend say, Oh, she had not seen one of my favorite movies. And she said, please don't be mad at me. And I said, "Mad? I'm excited for you that you get to Mm. watch it for the first time. You know, please tell me what you think about it. You know, I, I think horror anything really, but horror is about exploring and learning and growing and finding the things that scare you or the things that unsettle you or the things that you love about the genre. And gatekeeping stifles that it stifles imagination it stifles curiosity it again it enforces a binary where you're just checking Mm -hmm. off a list you're just going down the list like well i've seen these 20 films now i'm a horror expert i can stop (laughs) thinking about movies now you know Uh so again we're going to demolish that binary and shut down the gatekeepers that's my answer (laughs) yes
1: 100 percent. i'm rooting behind you all the way and I'm you know raising my cheerleader pom-poms um but um but yes I love that when you said that about like you know gatekeeping kind of it limits you know who gets involved with the genre and like Mm -hmm. the more people that experience the horror genre the better because we get more interesting voices Mm -hmm. and just richer it's a richer experience for everyone so it can only be can only be good and better Mm -hmm. and i think kind of for a good kind of like nice kind of closing off topic and i love how you said we seek out horror because it might scare us or thrill us and all these different things so stemming from that what are your comfort horror films like if if you like you know if you've had a shit day or a shit week like what are the films that you'll just turn to because you know you're gonna have a good time with it
2: honestly my number one question for this and probably the horror movie i've seen the most is the original house on haunted hill mm. um it's a great uh haunted house story it's a great campy story you know if you uh, if you want to have fun you can't go wrong with william castle
0: mm-hmm. and
2: or vincent price um it's one of the earliest horror movies i saw and it's it's so funny and sexy and disturbing and just i can never get enough of that movie but also um slashers i am a huge slasher fan and there are certain slashers that are my comforts um i this is not a criticism of the subgenre at all but there is loosely speaking a formula to slashers and there's something about the formula that comforts me Mm. The, the the familiarity of that again not every slasher follows the formula some of them subvert it some of them follow it to a t but do it in really interesting ways there's nothing wrong with having you know like giallo there are clear uh yeah. things that make a movie a giallo that doesn't make it predictable or bad just because it follows either a pattern mm-hmm. it just or has a dna fits... exactly exactly so this is not me um criticizing slashers or saying they're lesser than but that formula is so comforting to me like it's fun Mm -hmm. to watch it's fun to watch people get killed with a knife or a machete or an arrow or whatever but it's also there's something so soothing to me about watching something familiar to me play out even new slashers can be comfort movies to me because i there's something about the dna of slashers that Mm -hmm. i just enjoy so much and is so it's you know the a lot of people think comfort horror is an oxymoron but that is the ultimate comfort horror for me is slashers
1: 100 percent. i think i think that is like a a quite common one for a lot of horror mm-hmm. fans like mm-hmm. you said because there is that not predictability but like the sense of familiar familiarity as yeah. in like you just you know what you're getting going in and mm-hmm. whether it's you know you're re-watching the same slasher film for the hundredth time or it's your first experience with the new slasher film because it's a slasher you mostly kind of know what you're expecting Mm -hmm. even if it's subverting things in interesting clever ways it still Mm. has that dna of this is a slasher i know i know what i'm getting and yeah it's i i I like that one as well because yeah i have you know certain ones that all just return to time and time again because I just mm-hmm. know I'm going to have a great time and they're just so yes. much fun yes. and I just love that oxymoron of like wait you're having fun with the horror movie <laughs> yes yes I am I'm having a lot of fun yes <laughs> <laughs> but no I just want to because that's a thing a perfect kind of sounding out point to kind of close this out and um, but before like before I kind of let you go and before I ask you to kind of like plug where people can find you and stuff like that as kind of like the last kind of sounding note like what are you kind of like predictions for where horror will go like are you kind of hopeful that it's going to be a genre that will continue to become more diverse and more interesting or will the pendulum swing back like what do you feel are you hopeful or slightly you know less hopeful
2: (laughs) I'm actually pretty hopeful I Mm -hmm. feel like I feel like I there are movies from voices that we haven't heard from enough there are more and more of them coming out and i just personally speaking you mentioned you know malignant and orphan first kill i am hopeful that we will see a lot more camp and a lot more um, movies that just go for it just go over the top or just go in weird directions um i'm really hopeful that we're going to see a lot more of that i think i think we are i really think Mm -hmm. we are based on a few movies that are coming out later this year and things i'm hearing about um but there's just uh, I think there's there are so many great horror festivals out there. I know I'm privileged as a critic because sometimes I get access to those things mm-hmm. that I would not otherwise be able to afford because, again, I'm a critic, so I can't afford anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I'm seeing so many indie horror movies that are so interesting, so many new voices, so many new directions for horror. So I'm really hopeful based on that. I if If you're not someone who has access to those things easily... I, there are affordable virtual options for film festivals, for horror film festivals. Mm-hmm. I, If you're feeling depressed about the state of horror, I would look to those. Yeah. To look to what the indie uh, filmmakers are doing. Uh, look, look at Tubi, like f- free streaming services where you can watch older horror movies or new mm-hmm. horror movies. Um, there's so much out there that I think people miss. In a lot of horror conversations there's so much out there in terms of older films and newer films but I myself am hopeful I I see good things on the horizon and I'm choosing to focus on those
1: <laughs> brilliant and what a perfect note to kind of close off this discussion on so thank you so much for joining me this has been absolutely fantastic and we've touched on so many great topics and I've really enjoyed it so before I let you go where can people find you and support your work
2: um, you can find me on Twitter at we Who Walk here. I have a website, wewhowalkhere.com. I write and edit for FilmCred. I write for uh, Dread Central, Daily Grindhouse, Nightmarish Condrain, Slash Film, a lot of other places. I share my writing and my cosplay and my podcast appearances and all the projects I'm working on on Twitter. Um, you can always come say hi to me, see what I'm working on at we Who Walk here on Twitter.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me and to my listeners. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for future releases in my Why Horror series.